Welcome to the Digital Shadows podcast. This podcast delves into all topics and philosophical debates surrounding online safety, regulation, and the darker sides to the internet. I'm your host, Maria Algeyer, and throughout this series, I will be joined by a variety of guests from company CEOs, activists, and more. Disclaimer, this podcast is created by Orphis AI and T3K AI. It is intended for educational purposes and may contain certain topics that some listeners find disturbing. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Shadows podcast. Today, I'm joined by John, and we are going to be talking about encryption and the big debate around privacy versus online safety and what exactly that all means. Um, so, John, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm John Osbey. I'm the founder and CEO of a uh, digital privacy and security company called Crypty. It has nothing to do with cryptocurrencies, and a lot of people <laughs> ask that, so I just get that out of the way right away. Um, uh, it's Crypt for encryption, and we may specifically mainly focus on keeping your data safe. And uh, if I awkwardly look this way, it means I'm looking at Maria. If I look this way, I'm looking at the camera. <laughs> so you'll know what's going on if I'm looking awkwardly. If but, I'm looking uh, up, I'm yeah. looking at my notes. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. So when did you start Crypty, and why? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I started Crypty back in uh, 2017, and initially for me it was um, about first like I was chatting with a lot of people, let's just say, and for me it was very clear that around then, back in 2016, 2017, it was very clear that a lot of people were actually concerned about how they can keep their data safe. And I thought, well, I have a background in computer science and I have a background in security, so I thought maybe I can do something about this. It seems like this is a general concern um, that everybody has. And so uh, after months of working on it, I ended up uh, coming up with the idea for Crypty, which derived from, okay, well, a lot of people want to keep their notes safe and they want to keep their photos safe. So I thought perhaps I can find a, a healthy middle ground where I sort of provide the equivalent of a digital safe box for them on the internet, where they can keep their uh, private documents and photos, etc. In an easy to use and clean uh, interface online, so they can just uh, keep them safely, securely, and privately. And I that's can sort confirm of like that it is easy to use because even my mother, who can't figure out how to convert something into a PDF, was able to use Crypty. <laughs> this makes me very happy. It's the greatest compliment one can receive. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 very difficult, especially when you involve things like encryption and key management and how do you make sure that users' data stay safe and how do you make sure that users can't make mistakes. Well, encryption, I think it's one of those words that everybody hears. Everybody assumes they know what it means, but then when actually asked to give it in detail, people don't know, really know what to say. Kind of like AI or crypto. Um, so what exactly um, is encryption and how does, I know it's a big question, and, but how does Crypty's encryption in particular work? Like what type of encryption is it? Yeah, I think it's a brilliant question. And I think this is something that a lot of people are unfortunately not talking about enough. And I think it's, it's causing a lot of people confusion from, there are a lot of ways to encrypt things. In the same way, there's a lot of different ways to lock your door, right? And I think differentiating between these is very, very important for us to be able to have a healthy discussion around encryption and figuring out which companies are actually defending your rights and which companies are just using buzzwords, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, like we'll talk more about that, but I suppose to explain this a bit better, I'll give you a little background as to what we do with Crypty and what the difference is. And uh, perhaps by comparison, it will help understand uh, the difference a bit better. So say, for example, you want to uh, store your photos on something like Google, for example, right? Uh, let's say you want to use Google Photos. 
what you do is, uh, let's say you're using, I'm going to use an analogy and we'll come back to this quite often because I think it fits perfectly with the real life scenario. Uh, let's say you have these printed Polaroid photographs and you want to keep them safe. And mm -hmm. You don't trust your home or let's say your roommate's very <laughs> invasive. <laughs> so you're like, okay, I want to keep these safe. So you go to a friend of yours who have their own home and you say, hey, I would like to keep, I would like you to keep these photos safe and don't show them to anyone else. And your friend's like, sure, I'll do that for you. And your friend can take a look at those photos because after all, they're holding the photos in their hand. And if someone breaks into their home, uh, the thief can take a look at those photos or steal those photos. Um, and if let's say cops come in with a search warrant to your friend's place, they can also look at those photos. And this is sort of the equivalent of how Google safe keeps your photos in that they can see your photos. If someone breaks into their servers, the, the thieves can see the photos. And if they get a search warrant, those photos can be looked at by the authorities, but they are still safely locked behind the door, right? So no one can really easily access the Google's uh, data center. That no, was very enter. creepy though. <laughs> It is, yeah. <laughs> but now if you, let's flip this a little, little bit to see how encryption comes into play, at least with Crypti, and I can at least hopefully explain a bit better on uh, what Crypti does and how it could actually help uh, keep your stuff safe. So in the case of Crypti, what we offer you is a, let's say an impenetrably strong metal box that is just mathematically impossible to open. If you lock it, it would take millions of years, even with a supercomputer. We give you a box and we say, hey, put all your photos in this. And you put the lock on yourself and you keep the keys. And then what happens is that you give that box to your friend and you say, hey, don't give this box to anyone else. So now what happens is that your friend can't take a look at the photos because they're in the box. And if a thief breaks into home, it's no different. They cannot actually look at the photos or access the photos because they're also locked away. And maybe they can steal them or destroy them potentially, just take it away and you can't access them. But your photos are still safe. And similarly, even if a police or someone else with a search warrant comes into this apartment trying to take a look at your photos, they still can't see your photos. So in essence, we we introduced a mathematical box, which is um, the equivalent of a good encryption in this case. And uh, that's how we try to keep your stuff safe. Mm -hmm. Let's come back to your question is called client-side encryption, which means stuff is encrypted on your device before it's uploaded and it's decrypted on your device after it's downloaded. And this way, your key never leaves your device. So we don't ever need to see your photos or your documents. In fact, we don't want to. That's quite literally what our business is. We don't want to know what you're storing. We have no interest in it. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of companies, on the other hand, however, utilize different methods of encryption. Suppose you use the keyword encryption quite often still yeah. to, to try to give people the impression that their services are safe. Uh, so for example, if you go to any website and if it has HTTPS in the beginning of it, it means they're using something called encryption in transit. Mm -hmm. And what this means is that if you have HTTPS, which 99% of the websites on the internet nowadays do, I don't know the exact number, but it's like 98 to 99%. And uh, every single app you've ever downloaded from the App Store, it has to use HTTPS since 2016 or something like this. So it's a mandated thing where essentially what it allows is that let's say you're in a coffee shop and you're buying yourself T-shirts and you're entering your credit card number. HTTPS makes it so that uh, your credit card numbers cannot be intercepted by someone else sitting in the cafe trying to hack you. Uh, as long as it's encrypted in transit, your credit card number can reach the destination unencrypted and uh, it will be unencrypted on your device, but in between, in transit, it's encrypted, making it so that no one else can um, eavesdrop yeah. on the, the connection. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies actually utilize this to say, hey, 
your stuff is safe because we use HTTPS, like it doesn't mean shit. It just basically means that at the end of the day, the company can still see your stuff. If they're hacked, your stuff is still in the hands of someone else. If a government wants to apply mass surveillance, it is still uh, possible for them to see it. Um, some companies take this a step further and they use something called encrypted encryption at rest or on disk. And what this means is that uh, they basically encrypt your, let's say, photos and your documents and put it in a box, but they hold the keys. In this example, it's your friend putting your photos in a box and they hold the keys, but the key is literally right on top of the box. Or if they have a safety box at home, the key is literally on the safety box. So it's like, okay, if someone like breaks in, it's under the mat. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I mean, it's safe. It's in a safe box, but there's a key that's right next to it. It sort of doesn't solve me. Mm -hmm. This is good for certain scenarios where if some companies are actually competent enough to keep the key separate from the data, Internally, this allows them to give uh, much more control over who can access the data. They can say that only those in the company with the key can access the data. So no random custom support, um, customer support person can actually access your data, but some uh, specific senior engineers might, who knows. But point being, they're essentially trying to uh, reduce the, the use of access, in this case, use with use of encryption. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, there's another kind of encryption that's quite often used in our day-to-day -day life, which is end-to-end -end encryption. And Signal and WhatsApp and quite recently, actually, Facebook's chat is finally rolling out Signal's encryption. All three of these use, uh, for example, Signal's encryption algorithms. What this is, is that it allows two end parties, in this case, for example, you and me, if we're communicating over WhatsApp or Signal or any other service, we can see each other's messages unencrypted in plain text in human language and English, but WhatsApp or Signal or Facebook, et cetera, those who are in between the facilitators, they cannot see the data. Uh, this is what end-to-end -end encryption allows. Um, sometimes uh, you might see some companies who are also misleading the advertising end-to-end -end encrypted data storage, which is quite funny if you think about it as a concept, because if I am one end and the company is the other end, like the messaging example, that means the company can see. What? So this is one of those things where it's like, I think it's very commonly misused. And if you see this context of storage and if someone says end-to-end -end encryption, it's, it should definitely be a big red flag. Uh, John, I'm going to leave this podcast with trust issues. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of message that I want to leave. Uh, you should have some trust issues when it comes to services that promise to keep your data safe. And you should always question um, how they're trying to keep your data safe. And well I feel like nowadays, especially with the younger generations who've grown up with more and more technology, we tend to sign away our digital rights a little too easily, not necessarily yeah. uh, giving a second thought to it. Uh, why should the everyday person be concerned about their digital privacy? We all need a sense of privacy. It's a human right. It's actually within the framework of um, like humans in general want to have some privacy and it's within uh, the set of human rights. It's actually in a, a part of the human rights declaration. So for us, I think it's really important, like from our perspective as a company, that you as an individual shouldn't have to uh, ever give up your privacy when you're doing anything at all online. Online shouldn't be any different than your private life, right? Like if in private life, thinking to yourself, oh, today I would like to watch this movie, you shouldn't have to be worried about which movie channel or which TV brand that you use is spying on you to see if you like that movie, try to sell your shoes later about that, et cetera, just to, to add to the level of this. We live in a state of surveillance capitalism where a lot of these uh, online companies right now, they're making their money from advertising revenue. It's quite literally what's funding the internet as we speak. So it is quite important that 
uh, we basically allow you a space where you feel safe as uh, encrypted storage providers or as companies who are trying to give you some safety online, that you have some space online and you have some privacy online that allows you to feel exactly as private as you feel at home. Like the way you have a curtain on your window and not because you're trying to kill someone, but because you just want to have a sense of privacy and dignity. Um, it, I think uh, briefly, I think that's why we need privacy because without it, we could have oppression. We could have governments applying surveillance to stay in control and stay in power and do crazy things. And we, of course, don't want those types of things. I guess is where the debate starts to come in a little bit is um, I think we can all kind of see the value and why it's important to have our digital private space. And it might yeah. seem as though at one moment you're passing over a little bit of data and who cares, like whatever. Um, but then you never know if you get into a more situation where there are certain governmental controls and then what yeah. role that plays in it. Um, but so there's that side of things. And then there's also the other side where people claim um, that we should be scanning encryption um, to find illegal content such as like CSAM, um, mm -hmm. which obviously defeats the purpose of encryption. So it's a really yeah. difficult debate because one can see both arguments. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on all of that? I know it's a very big, difficult yeah. <laughs> And uh, to, to add to the question, what does Crypty do to try to firstly help with remaining people's privacy, but mm. also helping to stop uh, or prevent illegal activities. Whew. Okay, big topic. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll pro probably briefly talk about who mostly uses Crypti because I think that's quite important. Biggest users of Crypti are activists and journalists and reporters and who need a different layer of security, like lawyers and psychologists, etc., who want to keep their patients' data or their sources mm -hmm. safe or their photographs safe from um, prying eyes, so to speak. So it's really important that our tools are built to defend against perhaps the hardest uh, level of mm -hmm. intrusion. And we go down from there, cascade down from there. And mm -hmm. um, what this means is that it's okay if you just want to store your cat photos. You can store your alpaca photos there and then spicy photos in whatever you want to store. And won't know the difference. Like we have no idea what you're storing. Um, so the the difficulty with CSAM and the difficulty with things like terrorist content, etc., as an encrypted storage provider, it's it's multiple fold. I think there are two different topics, right? Like mm -hmm. one is what the governments are trying to do, and one is what we're trying to do ethically. Um, for example, we don't want to be in a position where we're the moral arbiter of what's okay, what's legal, and what's not legal. Like, yes. This is a very difficult topic. I know you've been through this personally a lot in the <laughs> previous, previous work that you work with. And so it's one of those things where we don't want to be in a position where we're like, okay, well, this should be illegal. This should be legal. This should be okay. This shouldn't be okay. Or we don't even want to rely on the current legal framework of the country that we reside in, in this case, laws either, because maybe something that's illegal in Estonia is legal in another country. How could we deal with conundrums like this? Let's say... Uh, in the U.S., something's illegal, but it is legal here. Like, what do we do? Uh, for example, in certain states, uh, right now, the talk of abortion is a big problem. And, like, women need privacy more than ever. Trans rights are under threat. And uh, people's privacy is top priority as far as I'm concerned. And what if you want to store information about abortion clinics somewhere safely and make sure that no one can access that? Well, it might be illegal in the United States, but it's completely legal in Estonia. So, by U.S. law, depending on which state you're in, 
us storing abortion clinics data for some user might actually constitute as illegal. I have no idea, but this is where things get really murky. So which country's laws do we actually abide by when we decide what's okay and what's not? And we don't want to be the arbiters of this. So what we want to do is we don't want to know anything about your data. We don't, we're not interested in your data. We have zero interest in knowing what you're storing, what you're writing, what you're deleting, any of that. Now, as you mentioned, this brings a dilemma, which is what if someone stores things like CSAM? Um, this is where things get really complicated because we, we also don't want that. Nobody wants that. And there's a horrifying side of the internet, unfortunately, where CSAM is on the rise and terrorist content's on the rise. Can from a stance that, hey, we don't want to know what you're storing because like, there are ups and downs to any tool that you offer. In this case, I see encryption as a tool much like a kitchen knife you can buy from Ikea and you can either cook for your family with that kitchen knife or you can kill someone with it. And in the context of encryption, what we offer is a tool. You can either keep your data safe and uh, make sure that police brutality is documented and governments can't access that uh, photo where you documented police brutality, or you could put really horrible things like CSAM or terrorist content. And we cannot stop you from doing that in the same way Ikea can't stop you from using their kitchen knives for bad. This doesn't yeah. mean we go ahead and stop selling kitchen knives. This just means that we need to educate people on what's good, what's not good, what's okay, what's not okay, what's legal, what's not legal. Uh, now, um, in encryption definitely does allow a lot of bad people to hide things as well as it allows good people to hide things. And one can argue the ratio of it, and for, for some people it might be too much, but yeah. I think it's important to keep in mind that without it, we would be worse off. And so, it's, it's really important that we set that line where we say, okay, we're just a tool provider. Now onwards from there, there are ethical issues, right? Like ethically, if we allow governments to say, hey, there shouldn't be any encryption or we should have some backdoor and we should be able to definitely hold the keys so we can scan CSAM content. Well, you're effectively trusting in the case of the box analogy, the government to have a copy of that key. And if they have a copy of that key, and if someone else other than you has a copy of that key, it means anyone can make a copy of that key, which means the key is copyable in the first place. So if you have a key that is copyable, there is no guarantee that the government's going to not lose it. And the government's going to be like, oh, we definitely keep it safe. Don't worry. So it's like having a master key that opens everyone's doors, right? Mm -hmm. um, if, if that existed, someone else could maybe make that master key and suddenly all the thieves could access every single home ever around the planet. and. That's not good. That's, that would be a pretty horrible situation. So um, it's super important to keep this in mind, I think, in the context of um, backdooring encryption. And it's often the CSAM topic is often what's used to say, hey, we should do something about this and try to keep people safe. And there should be a solution to CSAM. I don't think it's backdooring encryption. This does not stop CSAM. It simply makes people move to different services and different solutions. They're gonna put stuff on hard drives and mail them around. They're, they can always do this with hard drives and whatnot. If you wanna store something privately, nothing stops you from putting stuff on a hard disk somewhere on an external drive and putting it in a corner and it's invisible now. Um, us as a company, we drew the line in sharing. And for us, the biggest solution was we said, okay, you can store whatever you want on Crypty but you cannot share whatever you store on Crypty. I want Crypty to be the equivalent of your safety deposit box at your home. You thought that 
from an ethical standpoint for us as a company, it's really important that there shouldn't be any sharing. It should be just like a safety deposit box and that should be it. As is losing us a lot of revenue and we're basically saying, hey, you know what? We're not going to ever become Google Photos because you're not going to be able to share your family photos or your vacation photos with your friends. But we want to be on the super safe side of things and say, hey, this we know will get ahead of CSAM because you can't just easily spread uh, horrible things on the internet. Now, if something's not encrypted and say, for example, a media company or government comes asking you to take down something, you can simply take it down. So if you're Google Photos and somewhat uploaded uh, horrible content on your service, then the government finds out about it and they're like, hey, you know what, take this down. And you're like, okay, I'll take it down. No big deal. Because you can see the content. Content's not encrypted. And you can look at the content and say, oh, okay, this definitely looks like CSAM or it's malicious or offensive or terrorist. There's something bad going on. We can take this down because we can see it. Now, this gets complicated because if it's encrypted, both legally and ethically, it gets complicated. But legally, if a government comes asking you to take down something, you kind of can't take their word for it. How do you know it is what they claim it is? Because you can't see the content. It's encrypted. So as a service provider, we can't see your documents. So if someone comes and says, hey, there's terrorist content, how do we know? So we basically had a chat with our attorneys and we said, like, okay, what's the best way to go about this dilemma? And the biggest scenario that causes the problem, is, and this happens with the context of sharing, is let's say someone wants to share um, CSAM and they're going to share this with five people, right? And the government catches one of the people they share the CSAM with. And this person gives the government access and their keys and says, hey, all right, you know what? I don't want to hide this. Here's the key. Here's the content. Now, the government can see with the key that there is CSAM on the service and someone's sharing this with multiple other people, but the government will not be able to tell who the owner is because, again, we don't know who the owner is either. We don't see the data either. We don't see the contents either. So this becomes a problematic dilemma because it's going to come to us and say, hey, can you take down the content? There's some CSAM on your service that, let's say, someone's sharing with five people. Then how do we know it's actually CSAM? We have no way of verifying it. Maybe it's a photographer, journalist, reporter who's documenting police brutality and the government really wants that taken down. So they caught one photographer who had access to this. They're like, you know what? We really need to cut this and we need to nip the bud, so to speak, before it spreads. So let's take this content down. So the problem is, legally, governments cannot actually share the key that they confiscated from this person who gave it to the government. Government can't share that with us because apparently... By law, that constitutes as government sharing CSAM with us because we didn't have access to that CSAM before. And by giving us the key, they are effectively enabling sharing of CSAM or facilitating the sharing of CSAM. In fact, amongst themselves, including FBI, they are not allowed to actually send CSAM one back and forth. The only place they're allowed to send it is the National Database of Missing Children, NCMEC. Mm -hmm. and, and I forgot the full acronym, but... Uh, Basically, that's the only authorized uh, organization in the United States, and as far as I know, they operate in Canada as well, that is allowed to handle CSAM and one can send CSAM to verify if it is indeed CSAM or not, and they're the authority in the US. So because they can't share it with us, now we can't verify it. And because they can't share it with us, we can't take it down. So how would I know it's CSAM or how would I take it down if I don't know the owner of the account? it becomes very complicated. What if, like I said, it's police brutality being documented, then do we take the government's word? Or do we not take the government's word? And we realize with the attorneys that this actually puts us in a really, really difficult situation because it's a lose-lose situation for us.
If we take down the content and if it's police brutality, we're effectively undermining the very mission that we set out for, which is to protect reporters and journalists and anyone and everyone who needs a level of privacy. And if it is indeed CSAM and we don't take it down, then by law, we're hosting CSAM and we're going to be criminally liable. And this is bad too. So we don't want that either. And we thought the solution is we don't add don't share. share. Basically, this solves the problem because if the government catches someone and they have access to the key and they can see the content CSAM, they can take it down because they have access to the content. We don't. So now they can delete oh, the content. Oh, yeah. They can say, okay, we have access to this account. We can see it, CSAM. Delete it. It's gone. We don't have access. Problem solved. If there is sharing, it complicates things. So we figured this is the perfect middle ground for us to actually uh, operate as a company to make sure that A, we can get ahead of CSAM. B, we can allow authorities to actually take action on CSAM and take down when necessary, when they're aware of it. Um, that's that's the best thing we can do. And at the moment, if there ever needs to be an issue similar to this, what they need to do is first come to uh, Estonia and file a criminal court order or do it internationally through international court orders for criminal court. And we think that by the time two governments are involved, and someone asks us to take something down for some reason, if they still ask us to take it down, then uh, we would still have at least a buffer of two countries and two countries' legal systems in place that hopefully will stop um, oppressive things like governments taking down police brutality, et cetera, from happening. That being said, this is not a surefire way to defend, of course, but we think Estonia is quite forward thinking. For example, abortions has been legal for a long time. We have a female prime minister, whatnot. So it's one of those things where- It's a specialized society as well. Exactly. And a lot of people understand encryption. It's a part of the Estonian society. And so in courts, people understand what it's about. In streets, people understand what it's about. So we think that by the time it reaches there, Mm -hmm. we'll have enough uh, protection to make sure that we can handle the cases uh, in the right way, morally and ethically and legally. It's been um, the best solution that we could come up with that prevents CSAM and still offers a safe place for people who wish to store really important things like journalists and reporters and activists to do what they do and peace workers and sex workers who need privacy more than everyone else does. So, um, I find it interesting how you bring up journalists. So why is Crypti essential for journalists and activists? Like what is the main purpose that people use this for just to give listeners a little bit of a deeper understanding? If you think about what journalists and activists and reporters do, they are basically the first line of defense we have against oppression and misinformation, right? They need to keep their sources private. They need to keep their stories safe, photos safe, until it's ready to publish. And if they can't do that, then they can't report on oppressive governments. Then we have a full circle that's going to basically make governments more oppressive, which will be harder for uh, encryption storage service providers like us. The governments will ask us to put more backdoors. It's a full circle, right? So essentially, if we can keep journalists, activists, reporters, and uh, those who report on governments and keep them in check safe and keep our democracies in check, uh, then we can uh, sort of rest assured that we have a chance against oppression and misinformation and uh, authoritarian states. Um, one good example of why reporters and us <laughs> encryption service providers go really hand in hand and why reporters love encryption and we love encryption is because quite often reporters travel overseas and they have to document what's going on. Say, for example, in Ukraine, they're documenting the war, they take pictures. Um, let's say they're about to enter their country to show what's going on and perhaps they live in an authoritarian country themselves. 
And they thought, okay, well, how do I cross the border with these photos? Like, what if the government wants to have a different narrative and they want to make sure the photos are in a special certain light and they want to alter the photos or they want to change the photos before it's even out? Um, what they try to do quite often is confiscate SD cards of cameras at borders. So, for example, when you're crossing the borders, they have the right in most countries to check your belongings. For example, when you're entering the United States, let's say you're at the airport, TSA or the border guard uh, has the right to inspect your physical belongings. That includes your SD card and your phone and your camera, etc. So, in essence, uh, your physical devices are sort of at risk, especially your SD card uh, is at risk. And uh, the Freedom of Press Foundation, as well as a lot of reporters and journalists and filmmakers have been begging camera manufacturers to add encryption on camera so that as soon as you take the photographs, they're encrypted. This way, when you're crossing the border, you don't have to worry about the photos on your SD card to be inspected by a border guard or a government or someone. You can simply keep your sources safe and you can simply make sure that the location of your sources are not revealed. Um, this is one of those issues that's been on the table for a long time now and hopefully camera manufacturers will actually add some uh, solutions that are there to address this issue but mm. um, yeah i think it's really crucial for companies like crypto to exist so we can make sure that photos of reporters and journalists and activists uh, are safe and they're sort of like the first line of defense when it comes to this i think mm. um, that's interesting um it's been an interesting year when it comes to uh online platforms online safety etc especially specifically around regulation mm -hmm. um so we've seen the eu tightening its laws we've seen the us trying uh and then we've seen the uk really speeding up um more yeah. so than any other country yeah. um so obviously the online safety bill now the online safety acts just passed and yeah. um even though there's been a lot of amendments and changes something interest, interesting in there is encryption scanning. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think it's a dangerous thing? What does that mean for, for your company as well? It's, yeah, it is very dangerous. I, yeah. So essentially what this is, is the UK uh, decided to pass a law called the Online Safety Bill, which I think was passed in the law in September, November sometime, which includes a clause, and if I remember correctly, 122 or something, that depending on how it is interpreted, could allow the UK communications regulator and Ofcom, I believe. Ofcom. This, is, this is like the FCC and um, FTA equivalent. It's like they are both the consumer rights board and also the ins inspectorate board in that sense. Uh, so basically what the UK is suggesting is that platforms or messaging services should be uh, responsible for somehow scanning for CSAM before it ever reaches the platform. While the idea is very uh, good on paper, in practice, it's impossible. And that's where the, the difficulty comes into play and why companies like Facebook with WhatsApp or Signal uh, immediately reacted as far as Apple, is, it's, uh, everyone reacted, so to speak. But uh, what, what it essentially proposes is that before the content is encrypted, let's say before your messages are encrypted, the UK government proposes that using an untested technology that which they don't clarify what it is, they try to scam for CSAM on your device and send the results to their servers instead of your actual messages and they claim that this should be safe. However, there is no easy way to break encryption and do this on your device because if you do this, then that means you have to send all your messages to the UK government. They check it out to see if it's safe and then it's encrypted. So you're essentially trusting... Uh, only the UK government and your friend, but no one else, which 
is still a pretty bad position to be in if you're sending this stuff to the UK government because for now they're okay, right? Maybe they're going to be like a very different authoritarian government in 20 years. We can't really know that. Maybe their policy is going to change. Like US government used to be very progressive. Then suddenly they said, hey, you know what? We're against abortion. How could we really trust the government not to change and still always have your best interest and your rights at heart? Um, so essentially spying on your message is bad. And basically the most cited solution, the, the client side scanning, it's essentially scanning messages before they're sent is still spying on messages. It's really not that different conceptually speaking. Mm -hmm. And even if it's not done in the server somewhere, but on your phone instead, like instead of breaking the encryption, it is still doing it. And it doesn't matter if, if we're applying the home in the box and photo storage analogy, right? It, it sort of doesn't matter if someone's watching you from the window or with binoculars from far away or with a camera, they're still watching you. It really doesn't change the fact that you're home, but you're being surveilled by someone. So yeah. it's still creepy. It sort of doesn't matter how they're watching you. It's probably less creepy if they're in person, but um, <laughs> what, what logically matters is that they're still watching you at the end of the day. And it doesn't matter if they broke into your home from the window or the door, they still broke in. In, in the same sense, if they break the encryption, it's broken. There is no way to unbreak the encryption. Once it's gone, it's gone. Once we lose these rights. You've been saying throughout this podcast, there's so many misconceptions when it comes to encryption. And you'll hear mm -hmm. people saying, oh, but like weakened encryption, um, which really, like you said, that doesn't exist. It's either encryption or it's not encryption. Correct. It is, it is basically the simplest thing. It, you either have a door or you don't have a door to your home. <laughs> it's as simple as it gets. You can either stay safe and private or you can't stay safe and private. Mathematically, there is no weak encryption or strong encryption. There is encryption or no encryption. And the way we assure this mathematically is that um, it is so strong right now that even the most basic pieces of encryption that we use, say, for example, AES-128, etc., it is so strong that it would take a supercomputer with a dedicated nuclear power plant, perhaps millions of years to crack one person's key alone. And that's just one key. So it is incredibly easy for a government to actually beat you and try to get your key from you. And it's mathematically impossibly difficult for them to try to crack that key, if this makes sense. Mm -hmm. So in essence, they're basically going to try the easy path, which is to beat you and try to get the keys from you. And this could come in the form of, hey, we want a master key, or this could come in the form of, hey, we're going to jail you and torture you, or this could come in the form of coercing you using different techniques. Like for example, at US border, they're forcing a lot of people to unlock their phones now. So it could come in that form where you unlock your phone and you essentially give the keys to your phone. Uh, it's a lot easier because now you have under duress handed over your key to the border person who will perhaps reject your entry to the country. And you're you like, actually oh, have to unlock your phone? Well, a lot of people, yes. I think it's in hundreds of thousands now. I don't remember the exact number. Certain states passed laws that prevent it, like Massachusetts, they can't do that. But other states yeah. have laws that allow it to do that simply because your phone is a physical thing that the government has the right to uh, inspect at the border. And so they do, uh, if that makes sense. Two last questions that follow yeah, of up. Course. Um, firstly, are there any like alternative approaches or technologies that can help in finding bad actors that that won't compromise encryption because uh, i think you get a lot of people are like look at weak weakening uh in air quotes encryption yeah. solution but is there things that you would view as an actual solution 
I think there isn't a actual solution per se. Mathematically, I don't think there is a solution to weaken encryption or find a middle ground that will solve all of our problems like, like a magic bullet. But I think the compromise is going to come from service providers like us at Crypti or others figuring out healthy middle grounds where they can still provide the tools that they provide, but make sure that it's only for the purposes they are built for. It's the IKEA knife analogy, right? Like IKEA could sell a knife or a katana. It's very different. <laughs> it's like, you're probably not going to need the other one to cook for your family or... Um, I think this is the big differentiation. That's number one. Uh, number two is I think if you look at something like 99% of the internet, services are actually not built with data privacy, security, and encryption in mind. They're just built to offer you services. Like if you yeah. order food, the, the person who's delivering your food has to know your home address. If you order something from Amazon, person delivering stuff has to know your home address. That's by definition. I'm always expected. worried about that. <laughs> yeah, it's very creepy. I'm super worried about that too. This is why um, I don't deliver stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really, really creepy if you think about it. And your phone's there, your address is there. It's, and they know it's exactly text. what you're eating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And your taxi drivers have access to your home address, etc. And this is one of those things where it's like a lot of the services that we use right now on the internet, they, they're built not with your privacy and security in mind, but built with the idea that they can offer you services. Um, good example is Google Photos, right? Or Dropbox, et cetera. Like these service providers are built with um, just to offer you a service in mind, not necessarily with encryption. And what that means is that if they don't offer the services with encryption, then what the UK government is proposing or what others are proposing uh, actually does make sense because then you can actually scan for things like CSAM or terrorist content on the servers. If these images are uploaded and it sits in a server somewhere in Google's data center and those photos are accessible by Google, then by all means, please scan those images and check if there's CSAM in there. I think that makes mm -hmm. perfect sense. Because um, then you're not a privacy service trying to offer privacy. You're a service that offers storage and under certain um, clauses under certain rules you say hey if you upload your stuff here this is what we do and that's reasonable i think that's a perfect compromise um i fear that this approach will lead governments to try to end encrypted services entirely and rely entirely on unencrypted services so they can scan things and this has been going on in a lot of countries where they're simply trying to ban encryption which is really fucking stupid if they do that because then the entire national security of the country will be at risk. If all your messages can be intercepted by a foreign nation state, then it's a bad problem to have in your hands if anyone else can just hack your country's uh, citizens' data. God. So I think it's, it's one of those things where the governments will always side with a way to scan or a way to access, which is what they've done for the entire existence of uh, governing, they try to have access so they can govern, but or police more importantly. But uh, I think in the context of online, this will become very difficult because even if it is illegal in the United States, it will be legal in some other country like Estonia, and they're not yeah. going to be able to tell another country, "Hey, you can't, you have to ban encryption." And as long as that country exists and they're connected to the internet, then service providers like uh, Crypti or Signal or WhatsApp. Uh, will be able to continue to exist. The internet is literally the Wild West. Uh, you yeah. can't, you have too many different jurisdictions, too many different countries, and unless everyone's doing the same thing, which isn't going to yeah. happen, it's super hard to, to navigate. Governments have tried really interesting methods historically. For example, 
historically, uh, governments tried banning the export of encryption. So in most countries, encryption is actually a controlled good, like drugs or ammunition. And you actually cannot export encryption algorithms that are uh, created in a country and novelly so, so that only that country can have access to certain pieces of uh, encryption technologies. And cryptographers historically have worked around this problem by printing their encryption algorithms into books, which is protected uh, under freedom of speech. So uh, authors of encryption algorithms have printed these books and exported those books instead of the algorithms themselves and sort of worked around these types of export restrictions historically. So this is a problem and cat and mouse type situation that's been going on for years at this point. Mm -hmm. And I don't think governments will be able to get ahead of it. But I do think that the healthy middle ground at the moment where I see is sharing. And I think as long as we can keep that at bay, we're good. And the reason being, if you store stuff, you can store it on a hard drive. No one stops you from doing that either. But if you want to share that stuff with someone else, that's where things get really complicated, right? You have to transit that uh, illegal content to someone else somehow. Mm. And as long as that method of transmission is uh, interceptable, then uh, they can get ahead of it, which is why their uh, governments are not attacking companies like Crypti as much as they're attacking companies like Signal and WhatsApp, etc., because they want to kill messaging apps and sharing apps and communication apps as encryptions to make sure bad stuff can't be shared, basically. And they're less concerned about storage services like us. And mm -hmm. uh, for that reason, the UK's bill, like we haven't been super concerned about it, if I'm being perfectly honest, because A, we are not based in the UK, and B, they, they don't have any jurisdiction over what we can do. Like they can say it's illegal to chew gums in Estonia, and they can pass that law, but that doesn't mean they can come reinforce that law. Like we can, so it's it's similar to that that they can say, well, you can't offer this. And kind of like how snus isn't allowed in Finland. Exactly, someone's <laughs> going to import that stuff. Like it's going to happen. You can't get it. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I, I, so we as storage providers, I don't think are as concerned as messaging services, and I think mm -hmm. they have every right to be panicking right now and pushing the alarm buttons, and they have been. And I'm extremely, extremely happy that they've been doing the good activism that us small companies aren't able to do with our limited resources. But companies like Apple, companies like Facebook, even Google, mm -hmm. etc., like they are doing the activism uh, for us, so to speak, in defending our rights. And quite often people judge these companies because they're the big tech and they invade our privacy, but also they defend our privacy, depending on which perspective you look at it from, and, uh, mm -hmm. where you live, as ironic as it may be. Um, but yeah, so I think uh, that's a good summary on at least the UK bill and why I think like mm -hmm. there is no clear middle ground and I don't think there can be because mathematically there isn't one. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing that makes me hopeful is there are new technologies that are coming up, uh, one of which is called homomorphic encryption. And what that allows is for you to be able to encrypt data and using the encrypted data, you can do operations. Say, for example, you encrypted two numbers. One is 10, the other is 20. Uh, me as a service provider, I can add 10 plus 20 without knowing which numbers I'm adding up. I can still add them up, but not know what the resulting number is or not know which numbers I've added up. And you as a user can still benefit from that. What that could mean potentially for us photo storage companies, for example, in the future is I can store photos in an encrypted way and still resize those photos or crop those photos because that's just numbers game, right? I can mm. skip every X pixel and resize the photo or I can do certain things on these photos without ever having to decrypt them. 
uh, this is great. I think there is a lot of hope and this will allow us to do things that we weren't able to do before. Um, and even though uh, we will have encryption, we'll be able to do a bit more with the encryption that um, that we have in our hands. So I'm quite hopeful. I think there's a lot of uh, possibilities. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think there is some developments. It gives me hope. Can users, listeners find you? Um, like where, how can they sign up to Crypty? Yeah, um, they can sign up to Crypty by going to crypt.ee, ee for the Estonian domain. So if you go to crypt.ee or just search for Crypty, you can find us. Um, and they can find me on Crypty's about page. They can send me an email whenever they would like to. They, they can email me by emailing john at crypt.ee and I'll get back to you as quickly as humanly possible. And uh, if you have any questions, if you need help with our service, please come by. Um, we think that like Crypty can be a safe home for you. And we think that if you're a reporter or a content creator, or let's say you're a sex worker or a, a reporter, journalist, activist, anything, <laughs> if you need a safe space and if you want to store your photos or your documents uh, in a place where the service provider uh, cannot see them, like us, uh, you're more than welcome and we can happily uh, make you feel at home at Crypty. I actually use Crypty to store my manuscript from my book. <laughs> well, I'm really happy to hear that. Well, so recommend it. Thank you so much for joining us, John. Uh, we hope that you, you all enjoyed this episode and that you'll tune into the next one.